Finally, another new episode of the Team Rhino Outdoors Muskie Fishing Podcast. I know it's been a little while since we've done this, and quite honestly, this podcast isn't very uh, consistent. So, you know, I just want to thank everybody for listening. As I've said before, if you could, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to, and that way you never miss an episode since it's very inconsistent. If you're looking for a much more consistent podcast, please check out our Backlash podcast that we do every single week with the fine folks over at Muskie Mayhem Tackle. You can go uh, check that out. We're already up to 200 episodes over there. Our last episode was number 200, and we had uh, five musky legends, we'll call them, on. And cool episode, so check that out if you're into musky fishing podcasts, which if you're listening to this, you probably are. This week, I'm going to talk to Joe Booker from Joe Booker Outdoors, Hall of Fame musky angler. We're going to kind of talk about the history of Joe Booker Outdoors, and then we're going to talk specifically about the depth raider. At some point, I'd like to have Joe back on. We'll talk more about his other collection of baits or lineup of baits, the who, what, where, when, and how, you know, why you want to use them. But for this episode, we're going to talk specifically about the history of the company, and then we're going to talk about the depth raider. I just want to thank everybody for their support this year of Team Rhino Outdoors. 2022 is quickly, be, you know, coming to an end. And we can't thank you all enough for your support, whether you made a purchase with us or you listened to a podcast of us, whether it be this one or our other one. If you watched a YouTube video, we can't thank you enough for it. We had another very good year in 2022, and we hope that we can kick that off with a, uh, a great start in 2023. And speaking of 2023, a couple things. We're going to be at the Chicago Muskie Expo. I'd like to tell you I have, I'll have another episode of this podcast out before then. And I can't necessarily say that that's going to be the case. The Chicago show is January 20th, 21st, and 22nd. And that's at the Kane County Fairgrounds. If you were at the show last year, same place. If you want more information on the show, go back to listen to, I believe it was episode 199 of our Backlash podcast. And we talked to Mike, the show promoter over there. He'll kind of give you an idea of what to expect if you're going to a show. Things that we'll have at the show, I mean... We try to bring as much as we can with as much as we carry now and only having, you know, 40 feet or 50 feet at these shows to display. You know, we try to bring as much as we can, but we won't bring it all. If you're attending a show or you plan to attend a show and there's something that you want us to have there for you, you know, specifically, shoot us an email, teamrhinooutdoors at gmail.com, and we'll certainly do our best to accommodate that. You know, if you haven't been on our website, that'd be www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. Recently, we added St. Croix rods, so if you're looking for legends mojo casting mojo trolling premieres and we have a couple elites you can uh, check that out at, at our website as well and we've also recently added grandma lures and we have uh, four different styles and a bunch of colors and you know we're going to work on adding some custom colors here soon enough but you know everything's a work in progress and it all takes time so those are things that we're working on right now of course you know if it's been so inconsistent with this podcast i think the last one i did was like three or four months ago and you know, we've added a bunch of stuff. You know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I tried to label them all. So, you know, if you're bored and you got a little spare time, poke around on the website. You know, recently we started working on some new stuff for 23 as far as uh, new custom colors and new exclusive colors and things like that. Check back to TeamRhinoOutdoors.com often. Anyways, I think uh, that's pretty much all I have for uh, announcements to come up with. It's been, like I said, a little while since we've had a podcast out. And I want to wish everybody... You know, Merry Christmas. Hopefully I have this episode up before Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And thanks again for your support of Team Rhino Outdoors.
All right, I'm fortunate enough to have my guest today be Joe Booker with Joe Booker Outdoors. And the reason I have Joe on is because he builds or has built, I guess he's probably not building them anymore, some of the most legendary baits in musky fishing, you know, with uh, the whether it be the depth raider, the shallow raider, his Booker tails, his top raider. You know, I'm sure most every one of us has some or all of them in our tackle box. So, Joe, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to tell, come talk tackle with me today. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about it, Jeff, and I, and I really, I, you know, it's, it's always a humbling experience to think back on the, all the lures, you know, that I originally uh, built, and I built them, you know, originally as tools for the job when I was really in the guide business, and some of them really were created almost by accident, and, and they become, uh, you know, you know, a staple for so many musky anglers, and we sold so many thousands of them over the years, and and uh, it's a humbling thing to think about uh, looking back, and it's almost like it's almost hard to believe that the depth of the top raider and the shallow raider and, and the original Booker tail, you know, what started it all. That it's just mind blowing to me that um, you know that I created this business almost, you know, almost by accident. Well, let's talk about the creation of the business. So you got the guide thing going on, and I'm sure it, you know that was probably keeping you plenty busy. What point did you say, yeah, I think I need to add a little bit more work and add a tackle company in here? Well, it kind of happened by accident. And uh, the original concept, you know, started with building, rebuilding, rebuilding a a bucktail, a spinner, you know, inline spinner. You know, today people call them inline spinners. Back then they were called bucktails. And most of, you know, there was only a handful of bucktails available back in the, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s for muskies. And almost all of them, featured multiple treble hooks the bucktail was tied to the treble hook and the treble hooks were too small so what would happen is uh, during a lengthy fish battle um you know on bigger muskies these hooks would bend out uh, or they would rust out or when you're trying to get them out of a muskie or cutting them out you know you'd ruin the lure and over time i'd have you know this bucket full of broken uh, lures sitting, you know, sitting around, and I started rebuilding them. And you know, you got to, th- you got to remember too. Back when I first started guiding, you know, I mean, I was barely making, barely, barely making ends meet. Really, wasn't making ends meet. I mean, I was doing a bunch of other things, you know, to make sure we put food on the table. I was making twenty five dollars a day as a guide. Eventually, I got to thirty five and fifty dollars a day as a guide, and I was like, I was expensive. And <laughs> back in the day, and. Um, Hiring a guy today for less than three hundred dollars is kind of a joke, but back then that's the kind of money I made. So I didn't have a lot of money to to, to go just buy lures. So I would rebuild mine. Anyways, long and short of it is, I came up with the, a concept when I started rebuilding some of these old old spinner lures. I just split ring down the treble hook, and gee whiz, that was the birth of the book to tell. Were we the first inline spinner to ever split ring a treble hook on a lure? Maybe not. But we were the first one to actually, you know, make it and make it like, you know, commercially available that way. And my my whole thing was uh, what I realized was that, you know what, one bigger treble hook connected to a big muskie definitely holds these fish through a long battle far better than multi treble hook, small lure, uh, small hook lures. That's how it started. And so I started making, you know, rebuilding these lures. I didn't even know how to tie you know, hair back in the beginning, I was just rebuilding some of the old lures and, you know, they were pretty gaudy looking pretty one day with a guide client. And most of the lures that were, they, 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 
even the names of the Lewis here were named by guide clients. And this, the Booker tale is like the classic example of this. The guy's name was Guy Jensen, Dr. Guy Jensen from Fond du Lac. He's still, I think he's still practicing. Uh, anyways, he, he was a guy client of mine in my early days and uh, we were having a slow day. He said, he looked over at me and he says, uh, I, he says, I'm sick of throwing these big jerk baits and stuff. He says, give me something. So he says, give me that darn Booker tail over there. I said, what? He said, give me that Booker tail. And, you know, he named the lure. Boom. So I'm, I'm, I remember, I'm not making, and I'm not marketing any lures. He names this lure the Booker tail, right? It's like one of the beat up, re- rebuilt lures in my boat. And of course, he happens to catch a really nice muskie out. And what did we do with the muskies back in those days? You know, there was no catch and release back in those days. So we kept the fish. It goes into the into the freezer at the uh, local sports shop. And we had those glass top freezers back in those days. All the tourists that would come into town, look in the in the freezer and see a, the muskie. And what it was caught on, they go in the sports shop and buy one or two for, you know, their trip that week. You know, the sports shop owner says, well, I can't call that bait a book or two unless you, you, know, you make some and, and, and provide some for the store. I'm just going to write bucktail on it. Dr. Jensen says, no, no, you want my musky in your freezer, you're going to call it a booker tail. So anyways, he looks at me and goes, you better go home and make some booker tails. That's how the lure company started. (laughs) You believe that? Here's my wonderful wife. And and we're sitting on the kitchen table, tying for the first time, you know, trying to tie and make booker tails from scratch. So we're taking apart these lures, figuring out how to do this and, we, t- we tied the first Booker cells, by the way, on copper tubing mm-hmm. until we, you know, and then we started built, started using throttle cable, you know, a lawnmower throttle cable after that, which worked way better. But the original Booker cells were tied on, on, on brass copper tubing. That's how the Booker cells started. That's how the lure company started. And then, of course, all the other sports shops around there, you know, go, hey, you're going to sell so-and-so these lures, you know, make a few for us, too. And so that's that's how it started. So then let's talk about the hard line, especially yeah. specifically the depth rater. When did that come yeah. around? Well, I know depth rater is a favorite of yours. Absolutely. The depth rater was a product of originally, you know, if you think about it, there was a time. I don't know how long you've been muskie fishing, but if you can remember, there was a time in muskie fishing where most of the lures thrown were topwater. Not that it's any different today, but topwater, blades, and jerkbaits, you know, two or three jerkbaits, a bobby bait, the suic, and maybe the eddy bait. That was it. And there was a handful of people fishing crankbaits, especially the people out east, you know, they were trolling. You know, and the most popular lure was the pikey minnow, and which is, you know, no, I don't think any, many musky anglers they even have one in their box. So, you know, me being a bass fisherman, going to bass fisherman, I used a lot of crankbaits, and I, you know, so I was, I was open to the concept of crankbaits, but back where I'm going with this is that originally most crankbaits that were available even for muskies were made of wood and wood and muskies just don't mix, right? I mean, over time, you know, especially the wood lures made back then, the teeth sink into them, they turn them to pieces and, you know, sometimes your best lures, you know, the, the obsolescence, you know, was, was magnified quickly because they, they just wouldn't last more than maybe eight to 10, 10 muskies at most. And, you know, the best lures you had, best crankbaits you had would fall apart. So I started, uh, you know, thinking on the terms of plastic and, you know, there were very few plastic lures, even the crankbaits, even the billable back then, you know, I was using saltwater lure, mural lures, Cisco kids, 
gosh, lesser known products that were all made of plastic. And then I wasn't happy with the way they performed. I like the, I like the action of the wood lures and the color patterns and everything of the wood lures. But I, I love the durability concept of plastic. And musky anglers, by the way, back then did not like plastic. It's hard to believe today. But there was a time when musky anglers were like, if it isn't wood, I'm not using it. Long story short, I started talking with some, again, guide clients. Guide clients, you know, guide clients in that were in the tech, in, in the, uh, that were molders and stuff like that. And I had a molder from Chicago that was a guide client. And uh, we built some prototypes of, uh, of various, I mean, the original prototypes of the Depth Raider, you would love it because there were, there were, there were so many different prototypes of the Depth Raider versus what we actually ended up coming out with. Long and short of it is, you know, I finally took like the best of all the lures, all the different lures that I was successful with. I came up with, you know, what do I want in a crankbait that would be successful? I want that beautiful wobble and action. I want it to be durable. I want it to be molded in, you know, I want the diving lift to be molded in so it doesn't go out of tune. And, you know, and no hook, you know, none of these screw eyes and hook hangers and stuff that would come undone. And that's, you know, that there was a long process. You're working even with an engineer who was a guide client. My dentist friend, uh, Dr. Jensen, who named the Booker Tail, ended up actually building a few prototypes out of dental acrylic. Built, the original Death Raiders were built out of dental acrylic, by the way. <laughs> and it was a long process that eventually led to the first Death Raider. The first Death Raider ever made uh, out of a prototype mold caught over 200 muskies uh, on that lure. And it was it was just a hand-painted, you know, it wasn't well-made, but it was built tough. You know, it took over 200 muskies. And, and before we before I retired, it when we actually came up with the production model. I got to tell you, I love hearing the backstory on it, especially because like you'd mentioned, I would say the Depth Raider is probably still the bait that I've caught the most muskies on. You know, I used to do a lot of trolling in, I, I quite honestly, until today, I actually thought that you built it for casting, but I used to do a lot of trolling and it, like that bait would get bit literally every single lake that we would put it on. I mean, it was, you know, there's something about a depth rater, right? So I love hearing the backstory on it. It's awesome. Well, it warms my heart. It warms my heart to hear that. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it was, I did a lot of trolling growing up uh, because I'm a, you know, I'm a product of Fishing Facts Magazine. I'm a product of Buck Perry. I cast it and I trolled. You used you used a technique and a tactic versus a situation. And trolling wasn't real popular for muskies, you know, in yesteryear. But you know, I wanted to build a lure that could could withstand trolling and casting, but withstand pounding. You know, collisions with rocks and bottom. And you 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 know where I'm coming from. You know, a lot of lures can't withstand the pounding, and that's that was the concept behind the original Guthrie was built so that it could withstand slamming into rocks and, and, you know, constant collision with cover. So that's what made the depth reader. That was one of the real concepts behind, we're going to build a lure that's bulletproof. Like I said, we've had countless muskies caught on them. I want, I can't, I wish I could remember my personal best. I want to say that was caught on a depth reader as well, but there's a lot of details I can remember about muskie fishing. For some reason, I can't remember what bait that was caught on. It was part of a double. We had two fish on at the same time, and I'm assuming at that point they were, they were probably both depth raider fish because there there would literally be times where we'd be running pretty much all depth raiders because that's what they would that's what they would eat. I mean, we would try other baits and and you know we'd have some success, but more consistently and more often, you know, the depth raider got bit. And so let's talk about that. 
you know, you uh, you built it as a trolling bait. Then you, you kind of transitioned it over to a casting bait. You know, what made you want, like, what's what made you want to start casting it? And the other thing, too, about it is, you know, what's your technique, I guess, with the depth raider? Well, he, the, the reason I, I, I say the trolling bait, too, is that this was, this was surprised people I built this trolling bait. I built this trolling bait originally because you got to remember the eastern muskie market was the trolling market. The midwestern market was a casting market. And that's changed a little bit today, obviously. But there was a time when our early early development of our lure business that we were building lures. We couldn't sell bucktails over in, over in the east. And we had friends over there, you know, that catching all these big muskies on whatever. You know, pike from pikey minnows, you know, believers and swim was were huge in those days, right? Um, we needed to build a good trolling lure so we could increase our business. And we were, we were also hoping to get into the saltwater business. And what, what ended up happening was, you know, I was, I even started casting them, you know, in the Midwestern waters. The jointed version, by the way, you know, was, was like a product of the pikey minnow. The most popular pikey minnow in the, back in the original days was a jointed pikey minnow. I wanted something to have that, that clicky, click, 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 you know, that kind of that wobbling action and that jointed thing going. And so I, I basically just cut a, a straight model death rater in half put dental acrylic on both, you know, in the, in the pockets on both sides and built the first jointed depth raider. It, it's, you know, it ended up being this amazing lure that, that actually in many cases worked even better casting than the straight model because it was just so productive at, at, at triggering muskies. And it was an incredible night fishing lure. And we also noticed that, you know, the, the jointed believers were such a popular lure out east. And so that was one of the reasons why we wanted to build a jointed lure and, you know, that whole believer, swimless and believer thing, a success that, you know, the Eastern guys were having trolling and their acceptance with plastics also, you know, encouraged us to build the depth raider. So, you know, I, I, my hat's off to the people that built, you know, like Home in the Blank and the original swimless. You know, the believer was really, a, a, you know, a spinoff of the swimless. And I don't know the backstory, but I know that it was basically, it was the same lure kind of built by different, you know, by guys that were, you know, I have no idea what the politics were behind it, but the original was the swim was, you know, the, the jointed depth reader and the, and the straight model depth reader kind of built up the same concept. So originally we end up marketing the jointed depth reader more than the, than the straight model in the beginning, because it, it was more popular in sales wise. And, and that's not true today. I don't know what the exact numbers are, what we sell annually on, on jointed versus straight model depth readers and what your, even what your company does in, in terms of sales. But uh, that's how we originally sold it and my big concept uh, you know behind the behind the you know always behind the death rate was durability you know durability and then secondly was being able to catch muskies in a zone below where most of these other guys were fishing and most of the muskie anglers as we know even today most of these muskie anglers if they're not throwing rubber they're fishing shallow and so we were fishing a zone by trolling and casting that most muskie anglers simply weren't getting to back in the day so, Joe, to answer your question, I would say that straight model sales are probably at least five to one over jointed, I would imagine. And, you know, for my own personal use, I use way more straight model depth raters than jointed as well. That's cool. That, that's interesting. You know, and there was a time when Beth and I were still running the company when the jointed, uh, the jointed depth rater, I think, might have outsold the original straight model depth rater. But, you know, it's. And in our shallow rater, the straight model shallow rater way outsells the jointed uh, jointed shallow rater. Yet my jointed shallow rater, I've always said, is one of the most underrated lures 
if not the most underrated lure and just and under under appreciated lures in, in my entire line because man i've caught a lot of big fish on those lures too well my assumption would be at some point this fall there was a bite uh, there was a bite on shallow uh, jointed shallow seven inch jointed shallow raiders on green bay because i definitely sent a bunch to some guides out there so they, they must have been going out there in green bay at one point music to my ears i love to hear it yep you know you know what's really neat i'm sorry for interrupting you know what's really neat it is and i mean that warm it, it warms my heart because it's so cool and your listeners will love this because it's so cool to to create something that ends up being something that everybody else uses and has success with and you personally having all the success with a depth reader is so cool because you know creating a lure that everybody likes and uses is it's as good as it gets you you catching a fish on my lure and, and your customers buying those lures and catching fish on them is like it's such a great it's it's very flattering and humbling and the other thing about it too joe is it's been a, essentially a timeless lure right i mean how long has the death rate been around for 30 years probably yeah yeah you know, we've, we've had to change some things on the depth rater over time. And in fact, you know, if we can briefly just hit hit on that, you know, some folks would say, well, I wish Joe would still build depth raters the way they were built in, in the beginning. The biggest change on the depth rater from the, the, the original ones we made to today is the plastic material, which we couldn't get anymore. Now, we, we used to build the depth raters out of a material called butyrate. And the molder wouldn't use, wouldn't buy, wouldn't stock it anymore, and wouldn't mold it because it was so hard to use and it was so expensive. And butyrate is what they built uh, chisel handles and screwdriver handles out of initially. And I wish we could still build the depth rater out of butyrate, but we couldn't get the material, and so that's why we had to make the big switch to uh, high impact ABS. And some anglers today that have been using a death rate for 30 years still like those old original butyrate models. And I wish we could dose them for them, but uh, I can't get my molder to, uh, to stock the, the material to, to mold them. Nowadays, with everything that's gone on with COVID in the last few years, I'm sure it didn't get any easier. Boy, I'll tell you, that's been a big problem. And, uh, you know, one of our biggest problems, you know, is getting people in a shop to make the lures. You know, we're, yeah, I'm sure you're dealing with it all the time with, with supply and demand. And we just simply getting skilled people to, you know, back in the early days of making the depth reader, think about it in the early days of making a depth reader, one or two people did all of the assembly, all of the paint, all of the packaging, one or two people saw every lure that was made. So quality control, manufacturing problems literally didn't exist because, you know, you, you, they had a handle on it and they built tens of thousands of them. Today, just, you can't keep labor. You know, getting skilled labor is tough. Uh, the people that built my depth traders initially, they're not even alive today. And their company isn't even around. So, you know, it's, it's been a real challenge to, uh, to to retrain people and then keep them in the workforce and keep you know, keeping well-skilled, well-trained people in the workforce is always a challenge today. Yeah, I mean, you guys had that new facility down in uh, yep. southern Wisconsin and you still yep. don't even have that all the way up and running, do you? Believe it or not, we do, and it's exciting. I'm glad you mentioned that because we have a painter, and we, we yes, we're operational. We are. We have one painter, and this is good. His name is Ben White. Great guy. Very, very skilled artist. Yeah, we're trying to take you know the lure manufacturing back, not only in the United States, which we have done, but also right in the state of Wisconsin. But our biggest problem has been it has, we got all the, the investment in, in machinery and tooling and everything else. It's just labor. 
is getting people in, you know, the COVID didn't help at all either, of course. But, you know, just getting, teaching people skills and, and, and having people in, in the house. But yes, we do have somebody in Genoa City, Wisconsin. <laughs> Actually, he's probably in the shop right now, painting lures. And there's a guy that assembles them that's in his late 70s. So it's the same guy assembling every lure. Unfortunately, that's not the only place to being built. But what we're trying to do now is transition that eventually to where it's all being built right there in Genoa City. And, and my hope is that, uh, you know, what, you know, I have somebody else running the business in these, you know, now that I'm, I'm semi-retired, I have Ken Robinson actually running the business for me. And, and to Ken's credit, it's been a challenge because back when, when my wife and I ran the business, you know, we had, yes, we had control of everything and they were all working under the same roof with us. But, you know, we don't run the business today and Ken uh, has trouble just getting people to show up for work. Yeah, I think we all have that problem. That's half the reason. Yeah. And I want to say that was part of the reason why I started this tackle business is because, you know, as a younger, uh, I, was still, I was still a younger electrician. I'm not that old, but I was younger yet. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this until I'm 60 and I can't find enough employees to continue to run the business, you know? So I was like, what am I going to do? We were making decent money electrically at the time. And I was like, well... Let's start this tackle thing once and see if this works out. If maybe maybe it'll be something by the time I'm fifty, you know, and and then you know here we are today. Is that labor issue that that created this business essentially? That's cool. That's a great story, and so you can appreciate what we've what we've gone through, and and you know, and I I apologize to even any viewer out there that's ever run into any any manufacturing or you know paint different colors and stuff like that are different from the originals and manufacturing issues, but I can tell you. We're not alone. You know, this, there's, there's all kinds of, you look at modern, it's everything from automobile manufacturers to, you know, to, to our, you know, to what you dealt with, to our lure company and even our, you know, our friends and competitors in the industry. It's a constant problem. And what Ken Robinson's dealing with down there in Genoa City, we got hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in painting booths and molding equipment and sealing, you know ceiling fixtures and stuff and uh, i hope someday you come down you can take a look at it and see it for yourself but you'll see that it's all there but we got to get people in there they're skilled that can actually do it and work there and and that's been a problem when people are sitting at home and they're you know they're not motivated to come come in and, and not only come to work but learn a skill and and that's a challenge in today's world and and it really is a challenge for manufacturers, no matter what product and brand they're in, and you know this facet of, of building products in today's world, it's it's a big problem, and, and uh, it, it's it's not just my lure company, but it's also it's a big problem all over. Absolutely, you know it'd be nice if we if if they got that all squared away because I could use probably about ten more custom colors. We think we have I don't know like six maybe. We could definitely yeah. use some more. That's for sure. Well, now the custom colored. I think I introduced you to him. That custom color guy is Ben White. He is in charge of all the custom colors. Now, he builds all your lures. All the custom color lures are all coming from the Genoa City plant in Wisconsin. Excellent. Yeah, he should hopefully be working on at least a couple more for me here. Pretty oh, soon. he is. Yep. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So, you know, Joe, let's talk about straight versus jointed. You know, one, one thing I think is anglers don't necessarily know when to use a straight versus a jointed. What's your, I guess, rule of thumb on that? I have a, a couple of good rules of thumb on that, you know, and the, I think that when in doubt, you know, just go fishing. You know, if you got both models and, you know, one of the things I like, I like the jointed lure for night fishing. I like the jointed lure for 
slower retrieves, dark water, clean bottoms. I think the straight model being a buoyant up and down a straight model lure is much better over cover uh, because, like, for example, when you want to bounce the lure through snags, for, through over weeds, uh, the straight model goes through weeds way better than the joint does, even though you can, you can do both. I like the straight models of trolling lure much more than jointed, even though I know I have got friends, including Chaz Martin, that, you know, destroy muskies on jointed depth raiders trolling. But that's kind of my way of doing it. But you know what? It's one of the other ways to do this is forget everything I just said and just let the fish tell you. If you fish, if you're trolling especially, this is easy to do. Put out one jointed, put out one straight. If you're board fishing with multiple lines, put out a couple jointed, put out a couple straight. And you'll notice that you'll notice a fish preference or a, a lure preference, excuse me, more often than not. And then you can double up or triple up on, on, on the lure they want. Now, that being said, even if you shifted off the depth rate and went to the joint to the shallow rater, there's no doubt in my mind that the straight model shallow rater, and same same can be said about the about the depth rate, but the straight model shallow rater is a much more versatile lure. It's a jerk bait and it's a crank bait all in one. The jointed shallow reader is strictly a straight retrieve crankbait. For example, if I'm fishing over reefs, shallow reefs in Canada, you know, one of our favorite things to do, right? You and I are out fishing and you, you're throwing blades and, and I'm going to back you up. I'm going to throw a jointed depth reader over that reef because I can bounce the reef. I, can, I don't have to do anything fancy with it. I can, in windy days, I, windy days, I like jointed lures. Jointed lures, both the depth reader and shallow reader in a jointed lure throw better against the wind than the straight model lures do. So if I'm on a throw, if I'm on a windy day, I tend to use the jointed lure more than the straight model. Uh, straight retreats, I use the jointed model. Running over top of shallow reefs in Canada, two, you know, those one to three foot reef tops. And I do this a lot even at night. We're fishing in Wisconsin, Minnesota, or, or Canada. I fish the jointed bait. Simple, cast it out, retrieve it. There's a little bit of pull and, and, and you know, a little bit of jerk and release your line tension when you're bumping into cover, but you know, everything's more subtle and then just bringing the bait along. And I, I have tremendous success doing that. The jointed lure, because it's a straight retrieve lure is deadly in the figure eight. The straight model, um, when you use it as more of a jerk bait, it's less effective in the figure eight unless you change things up. And what I mean by that is what I, what I do with straight model lures, crankbaits, a lot of guys will fish them as jerk baits. They jerk them all the way to the boat. And then they do this dead sticking thing, especially with minnow baits. Not as much with deep divers, but although some do. That makes them poor figure eight more. What I like to do is jerk the lure 30% of my way back to the boat, you know. And, and then when I'm clean of cover, I turn it in. I just switch off and then I turn the, the lure into strictly a crankbait. And then I finish with a strong figure eight. And what I, my theory behind that is I want to make the lure more attractive. If the fish didn't strike it as a jerk bait early in the retrieve, I want to make it much more attractive for that fish to strike it at the boat on the figure eight. And we both know that that's a deadly time to catch muskies is at, at the boat on the figure eight. You're going to have a much higher rate of success figure eighting a straight retrieve lure than you are a jerk bait. That makes sense? Absolutely. You know, Joe, I was going to ask you, back in the day, you know, kind of date myself a little bit, you used to have a book out called Joe Booker's Crankbait Secrets. Is that still in publication? Yeah. It is not. I've had a lot of encouragement to do, 
from several sources to, to publish it again. I did not, you know, it, I, it was it was published by Krause, uh, Krause Publications, and not, I don't even think know they think they exist anymore. It was a it, you can still get some on eBay, but you know it's it's interesting because it's become it's very flattering. It's become a bible of crankbait fishing for people all over the world. You know, it's cool that I get five star ratings on the book all the time, and you know it it takes crankbaits, you know, and just teaches people how to, everything about crankbaits, all A's and Z's of crankbait fishing. Takes you through my entire career of uh, and, and study of crankbaits and all the dynamics and all the engineering behind all the different crankbaits and why why a lip is in a in a lure in a certain position, what it does to to action and diving lip, and you know blah blah blah. There's all, it's all there in that book. If anybody really wants to learn more about crankbait fishing and the deadly the deadliness of all the the, the whole crankbait category, it'd be great. You know, it'd be it, I think you would recommend, right? I mean, that they would, they should get this book, and uh, but they're hard to find. But we're thinking about doing both a, a, a you know, electronic version of it as well as a printable version of it. And you know, I still got the original manuscript, but I probably would update it with some new things. But for the most part, you know, as we talked about, even with the death trader, that stuff is timeless. I couldn't agree more. I have, I'm trying to think. I, so I bought the book, I don't know, a long time ago. I can't remember when I first got into musky fishing. You know, we all know there's a lot of information out there now that just wasn't as easily available when I first started out. Now I'm scrounging for everything I can. So I'm buying, you know, any any book I can get on musky fishing, anything I can get. I, I love the um, Buck Perry stuff. His stuff is great. I, I loved it. And, you know, I picked up your book and then I... I moved and I lost it. I was able to get one on eBay probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. And yeah, I would definitely recommend if you're, you know, a beginner musky angler and you're looking to get into crankbait fishing, you know, we can, you and I can have a conversation about crankbait fishing all day long, but there's still so many intricacies that you have within that book that I would highly recommend it to anybody. And if you were to re-release it, I'm, I'm sure that there would be a a market for it for sure. I know I'd probably pick up another copy, especially if you did any type of update to it. Cause yeah, it definitely helped me in my, in my fishing and my crankbait fishing. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, but I, and I've gotten countless letters from people over the years and comments in person, you know, that have enjoyed success with it. And, and you know, it, it not only is, is the information in that book timeless, but it's all species. It's all, it's all encompassing from species. And frankly, you know, the, the big redfish and, and uh, all the different species I catch down here in Florida in the winter, it's crankbait fishing. You know, it's, I would say 50% of my, my success. And on the big bull red, redfish down here it's 75 to 80 percent of my successes it's all attributed to crankbait fish you know not to keep you too long joe one quick thing one quick thought on it do you actually feel like a crankbait is an underutilized tool these days because for me you know we, we sell a lot of them but yeah you know it seems as though like bucktails and rubber baits have i would say they've kind of dominated so a crankbait is kind of an underutilized tool would you agree with that or not absolutely it, absolutely, I think it, it may may always be that way because I think the, I think the rubber thing is trendy. Uh, it's obviously success; they're successful, and it's, but it's trendy. The blade thing is, you know, it, it's that's really never changed. You think about the beginnings of your company, and you think about the beginnings of my company in the Booker Tail. The number one lure, the number of producing lure, the number one selling lure has always been an inline spinner. So musky fishing. For decades, for a half of a, half a century, has been all about the inline spinner, and it still is. You know, there's just a lot more choices today. A lot, you know, the top. You know, I would add top water, and I'm sure top water is a big part of your sales too. But learning 
crankbait fishing is, you know, especially if you're, if you're going to fish the Great Lake, big water fishing, you better learn to crankbait fish. There are very few people today that fish the big water that that isn't part of their arsenal. If it isn't part of their arsenal, I'm surprised. You know, I know some of my friends that are guides out there just on Green Bay, just Green Bay. If you don't, if your crankbaits aren't part of your arsenal in Green Bay, you're missing the boat. And I know you sell a ton of lures, ton of, of depth riders and shallowers to people just to fish in Green Bay, right? I mean, so you better learn the art of crankbait trolling, trolling, and, uh, just, to, just to be part of that big water environment. And in those waters, even that, you know, the guys are throwing rubber, like Lake St. Clair, whatever, you go, you go, you go make a trolling pass through those spots of crankbaits, you're going to score. You're going to score. They, they, you're getting your, your lures getting down to the depths where those fish are at. So you're going to catch those fish. And for the casters, the big thing with casting, you know, crankbaits is that you, in, in the hard fished water of Northern Wisconsin, for just pick Northern Wisconsin, the, the hard fished waters in Northern Wisconsin, you're fishing a zone where most people, nine out of ten, your boat, the boat landing can be full of musky boats. Nine out of ten of those people are not going to tie in a crankbait. So you, as soon as you try in a crankbait, you can fish behind those people and score. I have proven it time and time again myself when I fished up, you know, when all the years I fished up there that, uh, you know, first year, I, the first year I fished, yeah, I, you know, first year that we came out with the Death Raider and for the next three to five years, you know, I'd catch two to 300 muskies a summer just between 4th of July and Labor Day on nothing but a Death Raider. Nobody around me was even fishing a crankbait. Yeah, you, you want to take your, your musky angling, your listeners want to take your musky angling to another level, add the crankbait to your tackle box, get one snapped onto your line, and you're going to score. Well, Joe, one quick thing before I let you out of here. Are you still doing uh, different clips and stuff on YouTube these days? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, I've got a series called uh, Joe, Fishing with Joe Booker Reloaded, and what I've done, uh, thank you for asking that, is it, it, it runs from right after the holidays, from early January till the, till like Labor Day, and a new episode every week. And what it is, is it's all those episodes from yesteryear that everybody, that a handful of you only got to see once on TV or did or didn't, you, you weren't watching it back then. But Fishing with Joe Booker was on broadcast. You know, if you didn't see it on a Saturday morning, you missed it or your DVR wasn't set, you missed it. I'm taking all those episodes, which were 30 minute episodes on, on all kinds you know, musky fishing and all kinds of other fishing. And I'm taking just the musky episodes, pulling them out, so to speak, repackaging them and, and then making them available and archiving them on YouTube. So everybody gets to see them and, uh, you get to see techniques and, you know, like we talked so many times, most of those techniques are timeless. So you're watching stuff. You might be watching stuff that was in the, in the eighties and nineties. It might be in the early two thousands. It might be just a few years ago. And it's mixed into uh, the product called Fishing with Joe Booker Reloaded. But you'll see, you'll see the early days of the Booker Tail, Death Raider, and Shallow Raider, and Topper. You see it all happen right there on that. on that, And it's Fishing with Joe Booker YouTube. Well, Joe, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to talk about you know Death Raiders with us. I'd love to have you back on. And you have a bunch of other products. We'd like to get in-depth on that stuff as well. I understand you're retired and you're probably itching to get out on the boat today. Hopefully you're getting out on the boat today. So... You know, once again, Joe, I want to thank you, and I hope you and your family have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up at some point here in the this winter. And the same to you, and thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. All right, so there you go. That's the uh, Depth Raider, and that's the history of Joe Booker Outdoors from Joe Booker himself. 
If you're looking for an amazing selection of Joe Booker products, please check out our website, www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. I know we have custom colors and a bunch of his stuff, and we're even working on getting some more. And hopefully in the early part of 23, you'll see an even bigger color selection for Joe Booker Outdoors products. And, you know, if you're needing anything else, be sure to check out Team Rhino Outdoors as we have, we'll have you covered with all your musky needs. You know, we continue to add product. We're, we're working hard to become your one-stop musky shop. And we know that we have a little bit of work to do yet, but we're trying to close those gaps as quickly as we can. Some things, uh, oddly enough, take enough time. And so we're working on you know, getting the kinks out there. Once again, I want to thank everybody for their support of our family-run business throughout the course of, you know, 2022. We uh, can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for us, and hopefully, you know, you've enjoyed your experience with us. You know, we don't want to thank you all for, like I said, listening to a podcast or watching a video or interacting with us on our social media channels or making a purchase, and so we, we can't thank you enough for those. Lastly, again, I just want to, you know, mention we hope that you all have a Merry Christmas. We hope you all have a happy new year and we'll see you again with a new podcast sometime in 2023.